0: We're going to take a one-week break, uh, a little uh, emergency break from 1 Peter. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about what the Bible says about uh, a Christian's responsibility to give. And I thought it'd be a good time uh, to talk about that, uh, and we'll see why. But right now, Mr. Jackson, uh, are you going to come up here now? It's your cue. Uh, We're going to talk about giving and understanding giving biblically. We'll talk about why we're doing that this week. Uh, But I thought it'd be a chance to give someone a chance to share a testimony about God's faithfulness when we trust God with our finances. So you can just use that that microphone right there, Mr. Jackson. And I will be timing you. Yeah. Uh,
1: uh, I was 25 years old when uh, the Lord called me to salvation. And we got actively involved in this church. Roy Kirkwood was the pastor. He was a godly man, loved the scriptures. Uh, The whole word of God is what he tried to teach us and did. And uh, one, one day he preached on giving. And when we got home, Nancy and I, we discussed what, what he had preached, and we knew that we were supposed to be givers in the church. And the scripture that I believe he preached that morning was from Malachi <clears throat> chapter 3. And it really pricked our hearts when he, when he preached. It says, even from the days of your fathers, you're gone away from mine ordinances. Not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, In what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? That's when it really got to me. Yet have you robbed me? But you say, How have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. And then over in Matthew chapter 22, I believe, when the Pharisees and the Herodians were trying to trap Jesus about who are you supposed to pay taxes to, who, and he said whose picture or inscription or whatever it was is on the coin, and they said Caesar's. And he says, "Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but unto God the things that are God's. And I'm not saying that he's talking exa- only about tithes and offerings he was talking about give God the glory and the obedience to what his word says obedience to the word of which tithing is one of them so it could be included in there and what he said to those guys was render unto God the things that are God's and uh, so that was the first year that I started working for myself self-employed and it was skimpy days (laughs) man i mean they but i didn't want to give up on working for myself and every now and then somebody would call and i'd run out and do a little welding job and we were wondering how we were going to pay our bills but we tithed on every little check that we got we never missed a meal, we never missed a payment. We always had plenty in our house. Maybe not everything that we wanted, but it was it was a time when I learned that how faithful God is. Every time it would seem like, uh-oh, what are we going to do now? Here'd come a little check and it happens so many times it's not coincidence. It, it was just the way God had taught us to be faithful givers. And it's, it's been one of the real blessings in our lives to be able just to give. And it's not, God doesn't need our money. He just wants our obedience that we grow into the kind of godly Christian people that he wants us to. Because then he goes on in that uh, Malachi and says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. That there may be food in my house and test me. Now, herewith says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing, and there shall not be room enough to receive it. You can't outgive God. I mean, it's all his. And what a blessing it is to for him to provide for us, and then out of obedience. To take that first part of that, the first fruits, the, the first thing we do is give back to him. Something that he don't even need, but what a blessing. I mean, it's just, and, and I just urge you to uh, to give. You know, over in Second Corinthians chapter 9, I believe it says how, how we're supposed to give. A cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver without a grudging heart. And it's just, uh, it just it just does something for you. So that's that's the way I feel about giving back to the Lord. And it's what the scriptures teach. Thanks, Mr.
0: Jackson, thanks, Daddy. Uh, no, I mean you guys. You're gonna you're gonna hear from uh, Zach and myself basically today as we. As we go through the issue of giving, because giving in our society is a big question. It's a big, it's odd that here we are, the most blessed nation in the world, and, and probably the nation that struggles the most with giving to the Lord. Uh, America is just on the cusp of being the nation that gives the least amount of their money to the Lord. Let's pray and then let's get into the word. Uh, Father, we come to you today and, and we worship. You, Father, for who you are. You are our God. And we don't want to just say that. We want to believe that. We want to live like that. Uh, and, Father, that means we want to obey you. We want to preach all of your word. Uh, we want to, Zach and I want to shepherd your people. We don't want to be lazy shepherds. We don't want to be uh, dismissive shepherds. We want to be good shepherds and do the hard things. And I know uh, among this people, uh, you want, they want the same thing as well. So, God, may you uh, just speak today through your word. And may we just be edified when we get done. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So let's look at what God says about giving. Because either we're going to learn some new things or God is going to punch us in the mouth. Uh, all right. So let's see what God says about giving. And we'll, we'll start off with what we often call giving, tithing. So let's start off. Uh, well, you'll see why I don't love this word, tithing, but it's an okay one to use. So if someone uses it, I'm not going to get, it's like if someone calls this sanctuary or this the altar, I'm going to be like, eh, not really, but uh, it's an okay, I don't know a better word. Uh, so let's talk about tithing. One, what is tithing? Because people talk about it all the time. Mr. Jackson mentioned tithing. What is tithing? Well, the word tithe, to tithe, a uh, tithe is just a tenth. The word tithe just means a tenth, 10%. Uh, tithing started out all the way back in the book of Genesis. Abraham is the first example of somebody tied the tide tide to that inimical sort of priest there going on Melchizedek, whoever he was, uh, there in Genesis chapter 14. Uh, and then Jacob, uh, tithes in Genesis 28. He promised a 10th of everything he had to the Lord. It eventually though becomes part of the law. It was a requirement for the Israelites. They had to tithe. They tithe of their crops. They tithe of their herds. They tithe of, of everything. So Leviticus chapter 27 verses 30 through 34 is where you get one example of this. It's in, it's in Genesis, Leviticus number, it's in Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, multiple passages. But look at what it says there. This is the Lord's command. He says, every tenth of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's and it's holy to the Lord. The word holy, set apart, set apart to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he can do it, but he has to add a fifth to it. And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. So Israel had to tithe, and this is true throughout their history. Israel tithed all the way back, as we said in Genesis, uh, through the time of the law, all the way to when they came back from the exile. After the exile, when they're returning from Babylon and they're rebuilding everything, one of the things the Israelites made sure to do that they had forgotten to do, as Mr. Jackson mentioned from Malachi, is they made sure to be faithful to tithe. So, Nehemiah chapter 12 Verse 44, this is end of of Israel's time. And it says on that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them, the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites, according to the fields of towns for Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. So here again, Israel gave these tenths to the Lord. And, And that's where we get a little bit of a misconception. Uh, About how much they gave. Tenth, yes, a tenth tithe means a tenth. But the Israelites actually tithed multiple times in the year. Uh, So normally they gave what's basically three tithes. They gave a a tenth to the Lord. They gave a tenth to be used to the the Levites. Uh, Remember, the Levites didn't get any land, so they couldn't have herds and crops. And they had devoted themselves to the law and to ministering. And so they took care of them. And then every three years, they would take up a tithe An extra tithe for the poor. So when you add those things together, people say, well, Israel gave 10%. More likely, in the Old Testament, they were required to give 20 to 23% of everything that they grew, everything that was born, every, I mean, because again, they didn't have jobs where they just made money. Everything that they had, they gave, not 10%, closer to 20 to 23% of all that they made. So that's what tithing is when you're looking at the Old Testament. But was that a big deal to God? Was tithing a, a big deal to the Lord? Was this just one of the smaller laws that, you know, he didn't really care about? Like, you know, you know, like the trimming the edges of your beard or, you know, mixing your clothing together, you know, whatever. Is this one of, is this one of those sorts of situations? Of course, it's important to God or he wouldn't have put it in his word, right? And repeated it multiple times. But God also makes a point, as Mr. Jackson read in Malachi 3, to tell us. Just exactly how important tithing was to him. Malachi chapter 3. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. So, I don't change, so I don't I don't consume you. You're not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you've turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? So the people, it says they've wandered from the Lord. God calls them back. He says, hey, return to me. You haven't kept my statutes. You need to return to me. And they go, wait, how do you want us to return? What are you going to ask? Of all the things he could have brought up to the nation of how they can return, what does he bring up? Tithing. Look at what he says in verse 8 and 9. We're going to see he begins by uh, giving them curses for not tithing. Malachi chapter three, eight, 9, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. I remember the first time I read that and it hit me in the, in the gut. Cause I'm a man who likes to say, I hate people who steal, right? I, as what my dad used to always say it, I hate thieves. I hate people. And I do, I don't, I don't like them. Uh, I don't like the whole idea. It makes me feel icky. And so when I read that verse and it said, will man rob God? It was like, Phew. And yet, that's what the Lord says. Well, man rob God, yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. So to not tithe, he says, is to rob God, and it brings him a curse. So does God care about tithing? He says, yeah, if you don't tithe, you're robbing me, and it's going to be a curse on you. Well, not only is it bad, but look on the other hand. On the other hand, it brings blessings if you do give. So Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. In other words, there are people who are like, I'll bring a tithe, but just a little bit. And he's got to say, no, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you. And pour down for you a blessing until there is no need. God says, you provide for my house. You make sure there's food for my house. And I promise I will take care of you. So from beginning to end, you cannot read the Old Testament and not see tithing as an important part of the life of God's people. Where they gave close to 20%, possibly even beyond 20%. Of all that they had to the Lord. And remember, this isn't people who were growing their bank accounts. This isn't people who are worried about you know, nicer vacations on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, this is people who giving to the Lord was giving the food that would help them get through winter. This is people who were tempted to store up. And God says, you don't store up and wait till you're secure enough to give to me. You give to me and I'm the one who makes you secure. Now what does tithing have to do with us? Are we commanded to tithe? That's the question, right? Do we go back and we read those and say, hey, look, you know, that's what you're supposed to do? Well, the answer is no. Not explicitly. You know, okay, in the sermon, you're like, hey, well that's sweet. Uh I'm done. We can, we can get out now. Uh, we're no longer under the Mosaic law, so we're not required to follow the, the tithing laws. Uh, and we couldn't even if we wanted to. You can't, there's no temple to give money to anyway. No Levites, you know, so to speak. And most people don't require you to give 20% or 23%. So, so are Christians required to tithe, to, to follow these Old Testament tithing laws? We'd say, say no. Really, I don't know anyone who does. But that doesn't mean, that God has nothing or has said nothing to the church about giving. Doesn't mean you can look at it and go, whew, okay, I get to keep all of it then, right? And I do get to, to do this stuff. Although I can't say that biblically you're required to give 20% and then we'll take a tithe every third year and you have to give another 10% to take care of the poor. Much of what the Old Testament says about money is still true. So let's, let's learn, we can learn from the shadows, so let's see, how does Old Testament tithing help us understand the giving that the New Testament does call us to? And, and I think that's, that's a, a more biblical word for what the church is called to do, to, to give. Uh, we can see tithing not as obsolete. But as with much of the Old Testament images, tithing serves as a shadow of what God is going to expect from his people. What God does expect from his church and how they use uh, their finances. Remember, that's what the New Testament says about the Old Testament. These things are are a shadow. It doesn't mean we can learn from those shadows. But we can learn a lot from the shadows. So what sort of things can we learn from that tithing in the Old Testament? Well, how about some very practical questions? One, you go, okay, God expects me to give as we're going to see. Well, what sort of numbers is he talking about? How can I know if I'm giving faithfully? How can I know that I'm giving generously or cheerfully? We can look back at the Old Testament and, and see, for example, percentages. I mean, the least example given in the Old Testament, and really in all of Scripture is 10%, the least example ever given For what God calls or expects from his people or how his people respond is 10% of everything that they make. And really, like I said, if we're honest, it would be closer to 20 or 23%. I mean, we might be able to proof text out one verse and say, look, that just says 10. It's like, but what about this other verse that says another 10? And this other verse that says every three years, another 10. So that helps us to see... What sort of numbers God has in mind if we're like giving generously. He's like, I'm giving generously and it's 1% of what you make. God is probably not thinking that's very generous. God is probably not thinking that's giving cheerfully. The Bible also in the Old Testament taught us that you give in proportion to what you've got. What the Lord blesses you with. So there wasn't some set amount that all the Israelites had to give. He didn't. Everyone didn't come and bring three sheep. He didn't say, everyone bring three sheep. He said, you bring one out of every 10 that passed. Now, notice it was the first one that passed, right? You don't wait till you get to 10 and then give the 10th. Uh, you gave the first one and then you got to keep the other nine, uh, which I think is a great example as well. You give the first fruits. You don't wait till you get all the fruit you think you're going to need. And then if you've got that extra fruit left over, you give that. And I think that's another great example of what the Lord is expecting from us. He's, he's expecting us to give off the front end, not the back end. Not to make sure we're set up financially and then give. We give to him and then trust that he'll set us up financially and not, well, I need to have this much in this account. I need to have this much in order to pay my bills. And then if I make that, then I can give to the Lord. That's never been the example in any of the Bible. So to make that the example for your life would be something contrary to the people of God have ever done. The Bible expects us to give in proportion to what we've got. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside uh, something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there be no collecting when I come. Again, same model that we saw in the Old Testament. You don't just give the same amount. You give based on how the Lord has blessed you. Now, for some of us, if you live on a salaried-like income, it's going to be the same amount every two weeks or every week or whatever. And you can know at the end of this week, I should be giving this much. I can give it, I can write a check. You know, I I get paid on Friday. I can write a check on Saturday. And let me encourage you. That is a great thing to do. That's what uh, I I do with with my tithing just because it takes any temptation away. Uh, I get my paycheck. I deposit it and I write the check and I normally drop it in the the gray box on my way home from the bank. So there's not even a temptation to get home and go, I had more bills than I thought I had. Or, you know, we were supposed to go, you know, to Silver Dollar City. And I or it's almost it's almost Christmas. And I better keep a little bit. If we set up giving proportionally, setting it aside already to how the Lord's blessed us. It can it can so uh, so help us to be to be faithful. But the Old Testament also has some pretty large truths about giving that we need to remember that have been true throughout the Bible. One is all of our money is his. That's one big truth I think we often miss when it comes to tithing. It's not that the 10% is God and the 90% of ours. Tithing is recognizing that it's all yours, God, but you only ask me to give a portion back to you. You could ask me to give all of it back to you because it's all yours. So you look in Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, he says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Everything belongs to God. But but sometimes we'll read that and go, well, that's just talking about the earth and its stuff. But actually the Israelites recognize, that's just not talking about the earth and its stuff. That's talking about the things that God has blessed me with, my things. So you look, for example, in First Chronicles chapter 29. Where God reminds us, this is also true of our giving, that when we give, we're just recognizing that all of this is really the Lord's. So 1 Chronicles 29, 14 through 16 says, but who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own have we given. So we've given, but it was really when I'm when they were giving their things, their herds, their flocks, their fruit, their their food, they, he said they were really just giving what was already yours. Verse 16, oh Lord our God, all this abundance that we've provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. Now look, this was all yours anyway, God. So these are, these are truths. These aren't truths related just to the law. So you can't look at these truths and go, well, that, you know, that was the Old Testament people or the New Testament. These remain true. It's all his, everything that you have in, in your accounts, in your wallets, at home, the house you live in, the car you drive. It is all his, and you need to see it as that, or it will become a temptation to you. Just like it was for the people of Israel. So giving, it says, is a way that we can testify. We really believe it's all his if you struggle with giving what you're showing is that you really believe it's all yours down in your heart and you give him what's left after you use what you'd like to use of it if you recognized it was all his you wouldn't sit down and go well how much do i think i should give you'd look and say god what do you expect of me to do with this money that is really just yours And you wouldn't wouldn't set aside all these budgetary items and then go, okay, do I have any left to give to the Lord? Okay, I've got this much left. I guess I'll give that. That's what I've got left over. So we get all these shadows throughout Scripture of how to think about money and how to think about giving and the Lord's blessing of these things. But that doesn't mean the New Testament doesn't have anything to tell us either. Because what we're going to see in the New Testament is the New Testament talks about giving that something greater than tithing is here. In, in regards to the law, Jesus famously said multiple times that in him something greater than the law is here, something greater than the temple is here, something greater than Jonah is here, something greater than Solomon is here. And in the New Testament, the law of Christ, it doesn't dumb down or, or water down the law. It doesn't give us something less. It, it gives us something greater, something that requires more, not less of us. And we we've, are given a more radical view of giving than tithing when you look at the New Testament. The New Testament doesn't take it down a notch. The New Testament, you not come to the New Testament and say, like, whoo, aren't you glad we got out from under those tithing laws? Man, you guys get to keep it all now. That's not what it does. And it doesn't say, hey, money's not important anymore. It's all just spiritual stuff. That to be, to be Gnostic. It ratchets up God's expectation for believers to use all of their money for his glory. Okay, so we talked about percentages in the Old Testament. Let's talk, we get percentages in the New Testament. So let's see what sort of percentages, if you say 10 or 20% is the Old Testament. We're going to look at all the giving examples in the New Testament, where the Lord told us how much someone gave. And we're going to see what example the New Testament sets. And all of a sudden, you're going to want to run back to the Old Testament. Because look at what we're going to see. Luke chapter 3, verse 11. And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. You got clothes, you got two pairs of clothes, you give one of them to to the person who doesn't have any. You've got food, you give half of that food to the person who doesn't have any. What does that show us there? What giving example do we see? 50%. So that's 50% in that example, but maybe that's just a fluke. What about a story we all know and love, the story of Zacchaeus? Let's look at Luke chapter nineteen, verse eight. And Zacchaeus stood. So this is Zacchaeus has, has been converted. He wants to respond to the Lord with with glad. I mean, he's a great example of des, you know tr- true desire to repent and live for God's glory. And what does he say? Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So what does Zacchaeus, excited for his salvation, when he say, God, I'm gonna give half my stuff. Half of my goods, I'm going to give it. Half of it. There again was the example, 50%. But that's not even it. Look at Matthew 19, 21. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, you know this story of the rich young ruler, right? If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and, what you, uh, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Go and sell what you have. Give it to the poor. Hundred percent. Go sell it. You got stuff. Go and sell it. And what happened? Did he go and do that? No, we don't know. It just says he went away sad. Which make you assume probably didn't. Although sometimes we've been sad when we've obeyed the Lord too. Uh, and <laughs> like uh, joy comes in the morning, maybe. All right. Luke fourteen thirty three. So that's hundred percent. Luke fourteen thirty three. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has. Cannot be my disciple. Jesus comes and says, do you want to be my disciple? You've got to recognize that none of it is yours. All of it is mine. Everything that you have. And we want to always turn this just spiritual, right? Just totally spiritual. But here we see the example again from the Lord, 100%. Acts chapter 2, verse 44 This is what What did the early church do, and all who believed were together and had all their things in common. They had all things, again, 100%, 100% of their things, they were sharing with one another, they were making sure that everyone had their needs met, all of my stuff, none of this stuff is my stuff, and this stuff, your stuff, they had all their stuff in common, making sure the church was taken care of. Or how about that great example that we know from Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Jesus looked up, saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins, and he said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she gave out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So what do we see there? Jesus says, bad example, giving out of your abundance. Here, I've got stuff left over, and these rich people were giving, and they are probably giving way more than her, but the Lord says they're giving out of their abundance. They're giving their leftovers, and she's giving everything. So what example do we see from the poor widow here? It says she gave all she had to live on, 100%. And so, examples, 50%, 50%, 100%, 100%. And like I said, all of a sudden, we want to go back to those Old Testament passages and say, yeah, 10% seems fairly reasonable. That seems, I think I can do that, Lord. Uh, But it's not like the Lord has gotten all hippy-dippy in terms of what he expects from us either. When it comes to money, we are commanded to do some things in the New Testament with our finances. Although we may not be commanded to tithe, we are commanded about how to use our money. And we're told that how we use our money says something about our Christian walk. What commands do we see in the New Testament in terms of our finances? What are we commanded to do with our finances? One thing we're commanded to do is to give generously to those in need. We're commanded to give generously to those in need. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 and 19. As for the rich in this present age, and in case you think that's not you, realize you have... A- thousand times more than the rich did uh, in their age. The, the rich here would be someone who didn't have to worry about where their food was going to come from tomorrow. Uh, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but to set their hopes on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, but also what? So it did not just So we just stop there. We think, oh, well, I'll just do good things. He says, also to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Although that we're not commanded to give, we can see the sacrificial giving is what God expects. Look. Tell people to be ready to be generous and to share, do these good works, being generous, being ready to share whatever you've got, ready to share it, ready to, to be generous with it. And I tell you, that is something, even those of us who tithe, we've got to make sure we recognize that about everything that we have. Because one of the temptations we can get when we give faithfully financially is we can think, okay, I did my part. Now the rest of it I get to keep. And that is not the example that scripture gives. You've got to be ready to say, if I've got to sell some of my stuff to make sure my brother and sister are taken care of, I'll do that. Because that's what we see in the early church. In Acts 2, 44 and 45. We saw 44 earlier. Now we'll pull 45 in with it. And all who believed were together had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That's generous giving. So they're giving like they're supposed to do. They're being faithful in in taking care of the church. And then if that didn't meet the need, if what they gave generously didn't meet, they went and they sold whatever they had to do to make sure their brothers and sisters were taken care of. So that's one thing the church is commanded to do, to give generously to those in need. The other thing the church is commanded to do is to take care of your pastors. To take care of those who devote themselves to the preaching of the word. Again, this is not new. This is just sort of pulled even from the, an Old Testament theme, given New Testament sort of close. Second Chronicles 31 4, and he commanded the people who lived in Jerusalem to give the portion due to the priests and the Levites that they might give themselves to the law of the Lord. You make sure. So in the Old Testament, priests and Levites gave their lives to the law and helped the people worship in the temple. In the New Testament, pastors give their lives to the whole word and help people do worship as the temple. So again, we see this idea of providing for them carried over into the New Testament, assumed it's still going to be in place. It's still a command. So look, 1, Chronicles, 1, Chronicles, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13 and 14. Do you not know? that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial alterings. Now he gives the New Testament spin on it, right? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. That giving to take care of pastors is, is a command from the Lord. First Timothy chapter 5, 17 and 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. We are still commanded to give so that those who step out of the financial world in order to devote themselves to teaching God's word, are able to do that, are encouraged in doing that, that there's no temptation to leave shepherding because they can't take care of their families. And then, you know what? If I worked at this job over here, I, who have a master's degree or whatever degree, I could make so much more money and I wouldn't have to worry about whether or not my family's going to be taken care of. In fact, the Bible assumes that the church is doing this and doing such a good job of it, the Bible assumes that people are going to be tempted to become pastors because churches are doing such a good job taking care of pastors. We saw this in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 2, where it has to warn people not to become pastors just because they want shameful gain. In other words, you would have people seeing the churches doing what they were supposed to do and people on the outside going, man it should be a pastor. Their churches always take care of them. Man, that's I, I mean I want that I want that shameful gain. We are also commanded to give when we give, to give generously. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 6 and 7. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There's no place for God's children to be a miser. There's no place for God's children to try and find the lowest bar when it comes to giving. To search the scriptures and say, hey, what's the least I have to give? In fact, we're told that God gives us more so that we might be more generous. What does God promise us? God promises his believers. He'll give us clothes. He'll give us food. He'll give us water. He will take care of everything that we need. And everything above that is a grace from him. But a grace to do What? What is it a grace to do? Is it, is it a grace to keep, to store away, to do what you want to? He actually tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11, why he gives us more than food and water and drink and clothes. What's the purpose of it? Why does he give us more than that? He says, you will be enriched in every way to be in order to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to god that god gives us more he gives us more money he gives us more blessing in order to what to bring him more praise and how we use it i'm gonna i'm gonna give to you generously i'm gonna i'm gonna give to you i'm gonna be you're gonna be enriched in every way so that you can be generous in every way and when you do that that's gonna bring praise and thanksgiving to him So if God has given me money to provide for my family, then the rest he's given is to be used to grow his kingdom. Then how can we keep so much of it and spend it on ourselves? He says, look, I'm going to provide for you and everything else that I give you, it's going to be to grow my name and my praise. How can we keep so much? How can we keep so much for vacations or nicer things when he says he's given us more so we might be more generous in giving? But why is giving so important? Why does he, why do we have these commands? Why does he give these instructions to the church? For the same reason he said in the Old Testament, practical reasons, so the church can function, so the poor are taken care of. So pastors are encouraged to give their life to the word. But also because giving says something about your Christian life. What you do with your money says something about your faith in the Lord. We need to understand this. Faithful giving is ultimately about your view of the gospel. We'll see. Faithful giving is part of a joyous, godly life. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verses 7 and 8 again. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Believers give joyfully because they know that God is ever faithful and will make them abound more and more in what matters in good, godly living. And so they're rejoicing in that. So they give cheerfully. Why do they give cheerfully? They give cheerfully because they know that the Lord blesses this and grows them in their godliness and they can trust him. So they can cheerfully give because they know he will pay them back an infinite fold. But giving doesn't just encourage the giver. Giving also encourages others in the gospel. Faithful giving causes others to praise God. 2 Corinthians 9, 12 and 13 For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission. Those who give are encouraged when others give too. That's what's going on. The Macedonians are encouraged that the Corinthians are giving also to the Lord and they're encouraged and they they, 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 they thank God for His work, not just in them, but for in the, work, uh, in the hearts of, of others and their co-workers of the gospel who are also submitting to God with their finances and it's causing them all to glorify God because of your submission. So their faithful giving, their submission to the gospel is causing others to praise God as... Well, and we see that that's what faithful giving is. Faithful giving is a natural outwork. It, it is a fruit. It is a sign of genuine confession and submission to the gospel of Christ. 2 Corinthians nine thirteen, By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission. What? And I left this part out so you could get it here. Your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. If you've submitted to the gospel of Christ, if your confession is genuine, then you will give generously out of your love and belief and submission to that gospel. If Christ is real Being generous with your finances will not be a problem. If you're not sure that Christ is real, and if you're not sure that he's the Lord of your life, then you'll just give to him whatever you've got left over. You will not give generously because you do not trust fully and you are not submitting to the gospel. So if you're doing that, then that's a sign that you've committed your confessing the gospel and you've submitted to the gospel. Faithful giving is a part of God's work in your life. 2 Corinthians 9, 14 and 15. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. So he's like, they're praising God for what you're doing for this gift. This is all 2 Corinthians 9. They're praising God that you're giving. They're rejoicing in God, that surpassing grace of God upon you. And they're thanking God for this inexpressible gift. Do you see that? Verse 15, giving is a gift. Giving your heart to give is an inexpressible gift from God. The fact that you're being faithful with your money is a grace and a gift from God that you should thank him for. Sometimes we want to credit ourselves for how much we give. And if you're going, if there's, I, mean, I can't believe, I can't believe people aren't giving. What are they doing? Well, one, you should think that you should think, I can't believe people aren't giving. But what you shouldn't think is, I, I'm glad I'm not like them, you know, uh, you know, you don't want to be like the, the Pharisee who said that exact thing about giving. Uh, what, do you, what do you recognize? You recognize that if you're giving generously, that is a gift from God given by grace in your heart. Faithful giving also helps us to treasure heavenly things and find real life. Remember how Jesus said to seek his kingdom first and store up treasures in heaven and all those things? Do you know that faithful giving helps us to do that? First Timothy chapter six, verse 18 and 19. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share what? Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. So they may take hold of that, which is truly life. Being generous, being ready to share is one way we store up treasure where it matters. And we set a foundation for the new. We think that us storing up our money is going to set a foundation for our future. So we'll give to God when I've got a firm foundation underneath me. When we get our finances where it needs to be, by golly, we're going to be givers. Uh, Or when I, I tell you what, right now I'm struggling with my bills and all this. But one day and what we're doing is we're saying this money gives me a foundation. And when that foundation is set, then I'll give. And he says, look, if you give, that's when you store up for yourselves a good foundation for the future. You don't lose when you do that. You don't lose out even. Look what he says. You, don't, you, don't, you store up treasure where it matters, and they take hold of that, which is what? Which is truly life. Sometimes we're afraid to give because we think if we give, it's going to make less of our life. Well, then I won't be able to do this, and I won't be able to have this, and my wife really wants a, a, a this in the house, and and I really want a car like this, and we've always wanted a that, and I want my kids to have a... And you know what? When I was growing up, I never had this, and I told my kids we were going to have that. Uh, I've, all of these things that we have all struggled with in terms of giving, and we think what we think is, if I give, I'm going to lose out on life, and here Paul tells Timothy, tell them to give because that's when you really find life as he says that which is truly life you don't lose anything when you give you don't lose anything in life you find what is truly life when you look cruising the nation in your 60s going on hip vacations having the right house having a nice car right nights out that's not real life real life is using every bit Every drop of your money for God's glory and for others good. That's real life. And we need more people looking at their finances and saying real life is found when I can figure out how to give as much to the Lord as I can and He'll give me real life instead of looking at the life that the world has told us we need and that Satan has told us is the good life and he's talked us into pursuing that and storing up our treasures for that. And then you have churches that are trying to preach the gospel that are wanting to do it. You go, I'd love to give, I'd love to give but not as much as I'd like to retire when I'm 65. And when I retire, I'd like to be able to do this. And I'd love to give, but man, if I did that, that would cut this budget constraint and that, and that's not the type of life I want to live. We need people who say, look, every drop of this is the Lord's and he will use it to show me what real life is. And if you want real life, you want to know what real life is. You don't give less. The Bible says you'd give more. Faithful blessing or faithful giving results in blessings. And this is the one we always want to go "Uh," to because we want to make sure we're not being prosperity preachers, right? Like I'm not going to say, you know, I want you guys to sow a seed today, Uh, you know. But in essence, you know, we kind of do. Uh, In this sense, look at Luke chapter 6 verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Our fears about giving are unfounded. When we're afraid, if I give, the Lord won't take care of me, that's just an unfounded fear. If you give to the Lord, He will take care of you. He'll take care of you beyond what that money that you're keeping can take care of you. Beyond. He'll give it back to you and give it back to you. And this is like, those of you who like baking, Leslie watches me when I bake because she's a better baker than I am. She's basically better at every cooking than I am, basically. Um, I make a mean bowl of cereal. I get that just right. But you know, it's like when you dig it, there, you can get the flour and then sometimes you're supposed to press it down and sometimes you're not. How you know that? I never know, but I always know I do it wrong. Uh, And so what the Lord is saying is he's not just going to give us a, a bucket and, 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 and it be, you know, oh here's your bucket. He's going to take it and he's going to press it down. It's like the trash can, right? When you want to get every inch of that trash can full and you'll like get down, you will put your face in the trash can. You know, you've got the trash can up here and you're like, I've almost got it down. The Lord says, that's what he does with giving. You're afraid that if you give, the Lord's not going to provide. It's because this is a, that's the same fear they had in Malachi, right? Give and see if I don't, see if the windows of heaven don't open up. And here, Jesus isn't afraid to repeat it. Give. Jesus, give, and you're going to receive it back from the Lord. Press down, going to You're going to be overflowing with results or blessings from him. We'll talk about, how, and if you think about it, think about how that would happen. If we're all giving faithfully, then whenever you're in need, you know what you'll have? You'll have people who've been giving faithfully all year to make sure if trouble comes up in your life, they can meet it which is a far greater blessing than if you just had some innocuous money sitting in a bank account. If you had brothers and sisters who heard you were in need and they did everything they could to make sure your needs were met and more, would that not be more blessing than your ability to just write a check on a piece of paper and have your needs met? It would be. To feel that, I know we're always like, well, I'd be embarrassed to ask. Ask people who've had to do it. It it might be embarrassing to ask, but it is straight joy to see people do it and do it heartily to take care of you. Faithful giving shows that you've given your whole life to God. If you're giving faithfully, it shows that you've given God all of your life, including your finances. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Those who gave here did so because they'd given their lives to God. Have you given the Lord your life? I mean, we all like to say that I gave the Lord my life. He's got my all and we'll sing it. Lord, you got all of me. Now, if you've really given the Lord your life, a percentage of your pocketbook is not that hard. And it would be foolish to say, Lord, you've got my life. And then pretend like that is not a part of said life. If you have given yourselves first to the Lord, Giving to him after that is not that, not that crazy of a call. So if you look at these things, if you look at... If giving is all of that, all of those things that that we just looked at, if it if it if it causes if it is joyous, godly living, if it is if it is if it causes others to praise God, if it's a sign of real confession and and, and submission to the Lord, if it's if it shows God's work in our life, if it show, if it brings us real life, if it's a blessing, if it shows we've given our life to God, if giving is all those things, then answer me, why wouldn't you give? And the answer is. You would. You'd be like the Macedonians. In 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 4, look at what they said. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their needs, means as I can testify and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. The Bible is clear that money is no small thing. It's no minor thing. It's grace at work. It's thanksgiving. It's treasuring God's kingdom. It's all those things. That faithful giving springs out of a love for the gospel. A love for the gospel it says, I love the gospel so much that I will take care of my brothers and sisters instead of just worrying about filling up my life with more stuff. I love the gospel so much that I'll do whatever I have to do to make sure that I hear the gospel preached that I might live the life by the grace you've called me to live. It, it says what the you remember what the Israelites did in Nehemiah Nehemiah 12 where it says that Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. They gave because they rejoiced in those who watched over them in fact you don't have to say that 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 things if the gospel of christ is is at work in your heart you don't have to say these things it will cause these things in you how can we say that we cherish the gospel if we cling to earthly things giving is about saying god i'm more worried about your kingdom than my own and what's crazy is giving is also a sign that God is building his kingdom in you and through you. So, if that's what giving is, that leads to our next thing, which is why we can't be silent on this. Why can we not be silent on the question of money? Because in America, for some reason, we want to be silent on money. We think we're supposed to, like, isn't money a secret? I don't know where that came from. Isn't, isn't money a secret? Yeah, I know you're, you're not supposed to go. What is Jesus talking about? Don't go in blowing a trumpet. Like when we give, I don't want, you know, I don't want, you know, someone who gives, gives I don't want you to like, well, you know, when we, we don't come up to the front and you bring your, your elephants in and you're riding on a pony uh, and you pull out a bag and you probably did it in pennies so it would ring more, uh, you know, pay it. Like that's not what the Lord is talking. And we shouldn't be like that, but. So we have these fears about talking about money, but in Scripture, Scripture tells us over and over money is a special type of danger. A special Type of danger for the church. In Matthew chapter 6, we are told that it is because of money that we cannot serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one and love the other. He'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And then what does it say? You cannot serve God and what? Money. Of all the things you could mention, all the temptations, all the struggles, what does he say? Of all the possible masters, he says you can't serve God and money. It's impossible. You're either going to love one and hate the other. You're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both. Which is what he's—we've already seen in in those passages about the gospel at work in you. If the gospel is at work in you, if you have a true confession and true submission, then of course you will not let money master you. But what other dangers might us not? If someone—if someone isn't giving, what dangers might that show? It might show that someone isn't trust, It might show that someone is trusting money more than they're trusting God. So we know what God says, but we think we need that money more than we think we need obedience. So we give up giving because we need that money, but what do we not give up? We don't give up Netflix. We don't give up cell phones. We don't give up cigarettes or vacations or retirements. We don't give up all the other things that are, it's not like, I would tell you this, if it even got to the point where you needed food and water and drink or give, I would say give and let the church take care of your food and water and drink for you. But a lot of times we don't give Because we want to keep these ancillary things. And it shows what we think we really need. If you're like, I haven't had the money to give, but you're still carrying a cell phone that has a full data plan on it. If you're saying, I don't have money to give, but you're at home watching cable. Or you're saying, I don't have money to give, but you've got all these other things, you're putting things in savings or whatever, then let me tell you, friend, you've you've got a wrong idea of what you need and what you can trust in. As he warned them to the rich, he said, look, it's in giving that you set a firm foundation for the future. It also shows us there might be a danger for people of not trusting God. Maybe it's, that they trust, don't, maybe it's not that they trust money. Maybe it's that they just don't trust the Lord. They don't think they can make it if they give. But what did we see in 2 Corinthians 8? 2 Corinthians 8, we'll pull it up there again. What did it show right there in verse 2? These people were able to give out of extreme poverty. Being in poverty doesn't even mean you can't give. Being in extreme poverty doesn't even mean you can't give and give generously. So listen, your money might show that you are in reality, not trusting God, that you have all the right answers biblically and you can take us to all the right verses. But when it comes to your finances, you show who you think is Lord of your life and who's going to take care of you and who you need. Listen, if you're struggling financially, that's the time to give. If you're trying to get back above water, that's the time to give. If you've been paid, you can give. Listen, I understand that it's hard. Our modern debt-driven society makes it really hard for people to be converted later in life and find out that they're supposed to give uh, and that the Bible gives the examples of 10% and 20% and 50% and 100% because you're kind of in debt up to 100%. And sometimes in debt up to 120%. Because you went into college, you got $40,000 in college loans. Because they were like, hey, kids, have you ever thought about a college loan? Uh, and so you get loaned out out your ears. And so you got to pay that off, which does what? Make sure the wife's is out. I mean, all those other things. So they, they get you all bound up in all that. And you've got all this debt. And then you take on this. And you've got to have a house like this and a mortgage like this. And you build on all these things. And you've got all this debt that you have to pay monthly. And then come when someone comes and says, hey, have you thought about giving? And you look and you go, what am I going to give from? Where's that gonna come from? And I know that listen, I, it would be nice to have four to five hundred more dollars a month. We were talking just the other day, we were talking about getting a potato. Less and I we said we could get a potato every week. It's one of those, those special barbecue potatoes. It was ten bucks a week. I said, we could do that. I said, Less, that's forty bucks a month. Where are we gonna find forty dollars a month? That'd be a whole lot easier to find $40 a month if you weren't tithing. I understand to have your life drawn up in debt and things that you've got to pay. But look, that's what can happen. I understand that. And we will look. We can work to get you out of that. But what we don't want to do is you just go, oh, I'm indebted up to my ears. I'll be indebted up to the ears till I die so I can never give for the rest of my life. So I understand that the world makes it hard. I understand that America makes it even harder. But Christ is better. And you're not stuck in something that Christ can't get you out of and show you real life. So if that's one of the reasons, if these are one of the reasons you don't give, it would be, it would be mean for us to not talk about this. If you're not trusting, if you're trusting money more than God, it would be mean as pastors not to talk about it. And if you're not trusting God, it would be mean as pastors for us to know that and not talk about it and not encourage you in it. This is you and you struggle and you want help. Come and talk to Zach and I. We can, we can help you be able to give and give generously. But we're going to help you get there, not just lament what you haven't been. And the last reason we've got to talk to you about this is because we love you. Paul had to give that sermon on on tithing. He had to rebuke churches for not honoring God with their blessings that they'd been given. But why did he do that? Look at 2 Corinthians 12, 14. We're almost to our last point. Here for the third time I'm ready to come to you and I will not be a burden for I seek not what is yours, but you. Uh, That last part, I seek not what is yours, but you. This is the difference between a godly pastor holding his sheep accountable and a shyster prosperity preacher who's just trying to have a nicer airplane, right? Paul is actually gonna say in verse 15, he loves them too much not to talk about their giving. And that's why we're doing this today. This is hard. It is uncomfortable to look out and go, Guys, you're just not being faithful in giving. And I know some of you, some of you are being very faithful. And if you're going, is he talking about me? And you're looking at your giving, you go, golly, is he? Look, there are some of you, you know, if you're giving generously and graciously. And like the difference, it's, it's in our church. It's not like there are people who are giving generously and then like a gray area and then people who aren't. It is obvious when you look at what we've given and who gives. It's not like people are struggling with is it should it be fifteen or twenty or twenty five, I just don't know where to go. It is giving generously and then just not giving. And so it would be when we when we come to you and say, look, we you need to give out of faithfulness to the Lord, we're not doing that because we want your stuff. We're doing that because we want you. Because it is good for you to be obedient to the Lord and it is bad for you if you don't. And we as your shepherds would be foolish, shyster shepherds if we didn't say anything. If we didn't. We do this not because we're worried about the budget or our comfort. We don't want to seek more money. We want to seek you. And the last thing we're going to see is that giving is about worship. You might look at this and say, well, you know, giving isn't a very moving sermon thing, right? Like, what did you guys talk about? It was so awesome. We talked about giving. Like, but giving is an act of worship and it always has been. It's always been a part of worship and praise. Tithing in the Old Testament was actually a time of celebration where you celebrated the Lord keeping His promise that you're able to eat and you've got clothes. We saw that in Nehemiah. Remember, they rejoiced in God that He'd given them people to minister over them. But listen to what Deuteronomy says. Deuteronomy 12, 6, and 7. And there you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your contributions that you present, your vows, your will offerings, the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God and you shall rejoice. You and your households in all that you undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you. Tithing wasn't a drudgery. It was a time of celebration, of rejoicing in the Lord and how he has blessed you. And do you see that? Do you see the paradox there? Giving is a time of feasting. It's not a time of missing out. It's not a time of famine. It's not when you give, then the famine comes. He says you give and you feast in the giving. But it's more than just about houses and clothes and money. It's ultimately we, we give out of recognizing that God has saved us from a greater enemy. So giving is ultimately about our salvation. We see this in Deuteronomy 26, 4 through 11. What was the heart of their giving? Why did they give? He said, Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God, and you shall make response before the Lord your God, A wandering Aramean was my father. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number. And there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers. And the Lord heard our voice, saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us up out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place. And he gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you, to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who's among you. He says, God has pulled you out of slavery and he's blessed your life abundantly. And they tied. they gave as a recognition, not what God had just done in their land, but what he'd done in their hearts. He said, we were nothing but wandering Arameans. We were nobodies. As the New Testament is going to say, separated from God. Without peace, without God. And what did God do to you? And He didn't just save you. He gave you a, gave you a life that is overflowing with blessing. And he says, so bring that to the to the Lord. And you set it before the Lord your God. And you worship the Lord your God when you do it. Giving is worship. It is saying, God, you have taken care of me again. I didn't take care of me. It's not that I kept back this much and gave you this little. God, I could give you all of it. I could give you all of it and you would still take care of me. I could take my check and I could write on the back of it, give this to God. And he would still take care of everything that you needed. Every bit. And if that's true, then you will give in worship to him. You will give out of joy and out of celebration. It will not be a drudgery. It will be a rejoicing. It will not be a famine. It will be a feast to give to the Lord your God. Because you've been feasting on what the Lord gave you every day of your life. And so if you're feasting on that every day, you can trust the Lord. It's going to take care of you. And if you believe that, you will give. And as it says, you will set it down before the Lord your God and you will worship the Lord your God. And rejoice in all the good the Lord your God has given you and your house and the, the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. Listen, if giving is a, I've got to instead of I would get to, if it's a burden instead of a blessing, then yes, it will be hard to be faithful. But that's not what it's supposed to be. That's not what it is. Giving is recognizing that God has all of you. And I think we get the question backwards. I think the real question we need to ask is, as Christians isn't how much do I have to tithe? how much do I have to give? The real question as Christians is how much dare I keep? How much dare I keep? If it is all his and all of this is a blessing for him, how much dare I keep and say this is mine and I'm going to spend it the way I want? It? And if we'll come from the equation that way, the same way we do with salvation, we'll come from it on the side of, instead of, why doesn't God save anybody? From the side of, how in the world does God save anybody? If we'll come from this instead of saying, how much do I have to give and saying, how much, how much dare I keep of God's? It will get our heads where they need to be. And that will help our hearts to be where they need to be. Well, see, giving is a... Because is a, is, if, if we start doing this percentage thing, we've already lost. We've already lost. Because you've already started to convince yourself that some of it isn't all his. So if you start looking for percentages, you've already missed out. The percentage is 100% is his. Now, if you're going to go, what is responsible and kind and generous, you can, you can start to work that out and give according to each one's heart. What the Lord has said is a generous thing to do. But giving is a time of feasting. It's a time of praise. It's a time where you show how much you love other believers. It's a time where you show how much you love God's Word and the people who devote themselves to God's Word and to teaching. It's a time where you honor God by showing that all comes from Him. It's a time where you show God that you can trust Him to take care of you. And so that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to worship through giving. We're going to give as an act of worship. We're going to see giving not as a burden, but as a blessing, as an overflow of showing God we recognize that all of this is his. So when you give right now, because what we're going to do is if I can have the guys come up and we'll get ready to give. And then we've got to do baptisms. Here's another reason to praise God. As you give, I want you to give with the same heart they gave in Deuteronomy. Set it before the Lord your God and worship him as you give. And rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given you and your house. Let's bow our heads.